Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to Clash of the Titles, the podcast in which two movies with something in common go head-to-head to see which one does it better on this episode. In the red corner... Hush, little baby, don't make a sound. Because if you do, alien bat monsters that hunt by sound will rip you apart from 2018. It's a quiet place. It's okay. It's okay. You're safe. They can't hear us. It worked. You just need to rest now. While in the blue corner, I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. But I can't tell you about them because the minute I saw these invisible demon creatures, I immediately did myself a mischief. Also from 2018, it's Bird Box. If you hear something in the woods, you tell me. If you hear something in the water, you tell me. Under no circumstance are you allowed to take off your blindfold. Did you hear that? The creatures. Please don't take my children! So what connects these two movies and which one does it better? Let's find out. It's Clash of the Titles. Release the Kraken! Hello, Clash Potters. I'm Alex Zane. I'm Vicky Crompton. And that's it. That is your lot this week. Christopher Tilly is absent from this episode, so you just have the pleasure of our two glorious companies. Is that right? Glorious companies. Two for the price of three? Love it. That's much better and succinct and catchy. All the things that mine wasn't. In fact, I should have just left it there instead of explaining how good what you said was. But I'm still going. Damn it. I hate it when Chris isn't here. (laughs) So, these were your movies. Yeah. And I'm very excited to talk about them. So I think they've got, obviously, a lot in common. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think the the old... I don't really... I don't think I pay enough attention to the which one does it better part, but I think this week I really will. So you're in for a treat. Oh, I'm excited. So do you want to have a guess at the connection? And I would just... I would um, encourage you to, like, rattle on, because I've got tons. Okay, well, I've got tons, because I also... In his absence, he has still done the work. Christopher Tilly's connections here. Okay. Uh, what I might do, uh, pick the ones of his that I like mm-hmm. and pass them off as my own. Right. Okay. And then are you going to do an impression of him? Just let's get that out of the way. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> On occasion, I will. 
uh, when I'm not busy listening to the Alan Partridge podcast, I will <laughs> I will drink a bottle of brandy and do an impression. All right, I'll start with my connections. <laughs> now that's what I call a bad time to be pregnant. <laughs> that's a good one. I would have also taken along that same line, super quick childbirth. Right. Yeah. Chris on those lines has pregnancy slash children will slow you down and might get you killed. <laughs> Unless, another connection, they are unbelievably compliant. So the connection might also be, why are other people's kids better behaved than mine? You see, I mean, you've pulled back the curtain on your children once again. I mean, it's really serious. Like, in either of these scenarios, like, say you woke up at, like, nine o'clock and you can't make a noise and you have to do as you're told, my children would be dead by ten past nine. (laughs) (laughs) So... In a quiet place, you're the first to go. We, we wouldn't even know it happened. <laughs> it would just be the end. <laughs> well, I was going to say, considering you are a person who, forgetting your kids, has been told... <laughs> I know what you're going to say! ...by a stranger in a busy, noisy pub with roadworks outside... Has been told by a stranger to please shut up because she can hear you from the other side of the pub. Yeah, she broke the social contract because it's not even like most, you know, British people are like, God, that girl was so annoying, but they take it with them and then they go home. But to break the social contract and be like, can you just give it a rest? But that's not the first time it's happened to me and it won't be the last. No, I believe you said it happens on trains, buses. In fact, wherever you Mm -hmm. are. Yeah, in an enclosed space. Yeah, yeah. 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 Doesn't happen outside. I mean, society is really looking forward to you self isolating. <laughs> in my notes, it's like, I hate to sound like Chris. In my notes, this is what I've got, but I couldn't bear it. Like, you know how much I like the sound of my own voice. Like, I couldn't. I couldn't do it. Just couldn't. <laughs> All right. Before we get further into a quiet place, any other connections? I'll do one of Chris's. I like this one. Films where heroic women aggressively cock shotguns. Nice. That's good, huh? Yeah, that is nice. Um, I've got one which is common sense. What do the movies have in common? It's a sense. Nice. So simply put, common sense. Okay. Well, then, and I think that will bring us on to the actual connection, which is sensory deprivation, horror, hear no evil, see no evil. Ta-da! Very good. Thanks. Very good. Uh, I also had, um, they would have made a great double bill on the cover of Sight and Sound magazine. <laughs> That's quite funny. Is that Chris's? No, it's actually mine. I don't know why. I want to start giving him credit by doing an impression of Chris, but no, that is solidly mine. So you gave a quiet place to Chris. Yes. I had Bird Box. Um, very quickly, you picked these movies. When was the last time you saw both of them? Was either of these a first watch for you? A Quiet Place was a first watch. Right. Um, so I'd made the connection, but I hadn't actually seen it. But I knew it was good. And also it was 90 minutes. So that's double tick, in my opinion. Yep. I saw Bird Box when it was out at Christmas. And it ruined Christmas. <laughs> so, because you were on the sofa, like full of fucking quality streaks. You're like, oh, let's check out this Sandra Bullock movie. A, a time of family time, Christmas. And I was just, yeah. whoa. Yeah. So, I mean, why would be my first question. And also, do you feel that Sandra Bullock was misguided in letting this movie come out when we associate her with such lovely things as while you were sleeping? <laughs> no, I watched it because of Sandra right. Bullock. And I'm more than happy to follow her wherever she takes me. Uh, Okay, so uh, let's start with A Quiet Place then, because they both came out in 2019, I believe, but A Quiet Place came out first, although I'm just looking at Chris's notes and he says A Bird Box came out in 2019, is that right? No, A Quiet Place, summer 2018, Yeah, Bird Box, Christmas 2018. That's what I thought. Well, then we're right. I'm looking at his document. He's wrong, he's wrong. He's all over the place this week. This isn't (laughs) fair, he can't defend himself. He's all over the place this week. 
Right then, Chris has provided us with an intro for A Quiet Place, which we shall be doing first. If you're ready, here we go. Hello, horror, my old friend. You've come to haunt my dreams again. Because some monsters with good hearing are the threat that I'm fearing. If my family makes a noise, you will be fed and we'll be dead. <laughs> so let's be fucking silent. <laughs> Is there more? <laughs> I don't know. I think this is it fading out. I'm hoping so. Well. I mean, God love his commitment. Yeah, I just... I thought she was great. <laughs> I've got... Um, oh, there's a little bit of extra there. There's a previous show. Um, so, that's interesting. I can just see him under his duvet with a guitar, singing that into his laptop. Thank you very much, Chris, for your introduction. So, um, A Quiet Place. No, she was with me. She was with me and... And then I had to go and do laundry, and he was with you. How did he? Rockets. So he'd still be there. I'm sure he is. He knows to wait for you. And she is... She's smart. She'll have found a place. They know what to do. Who are we? If we can't protect them. Did you like it? I really, really liked it. Yeah, I did. Did you not? I did. I saw this at the cinema when it first came out and it it had been so hyped. And I saw it early, but I'd already seen some five-star reviews rolling in for this movie. And it, one of them was in The Guardian and The Guardian doesn't hand out five-star reviews willy-nilly. So I was expecting a lot. And like everything that's hyped, I came away slightly disappointed. Yeah. But that said, it starts phenomenally. You look curious. Oh, do you mean the bridge? I mean the whole opening. First of all, the amount of information this film gets across when they are raiding that department store slash yeah. pharmacy. Supermarket. That's what I meant. Yeah. Do you I not go to supermarkets? <laughs> not anymore. <laughs> um, yeah. So I I love the fact that we learn that his daughter's deaf. That yes. He has these kids that you have to be absolutely quiet, that one of the kids needs medication, that they're doing this run into town. I love the fact that there is Sam mm, on the ground. Brilliant. Yeah, the production design is really good. Yeah. I don't think it's a five-star film, but again, this might just be my short attention span. If someone says to me, this is it, it's 90 minutes, then you have me because it doesn't need to be perfect because you've understood the rules of the genre perfectly. So if it's 90 minutes, then we'll fine. Let's see what happens. We know you're a fan of a succinct script and I agree yeah. with you. This is... It's perfect in yeah. its length, which sounds like a backhanded compliment, but it's not. It, no. Is it comedy and horror? The two genres that are often quoted as, if you want to make people laugh, make a 90-minute movie, yeah. and they can laugh for 90 minutes, anything beyond that, mm. and it's too much. People just lose the impetus to laugh for that yeah. long. And I think you're suggesting to people that it isn't what you thought it was, so it's more of a drama. Like, like when we get onto Bird Box, that's... Or slightly over two hours, I think. Right. Because the same rules apply to this, uh, which is obviously 
uh, scares and laughter, the, the connection there. But look, I'm looking at Chris's stuff here. This is what he's got. So we'll do a bit of trivia, uh, first of all. Uh, Beckham Woods are the writers who met at middle school and have been making movies ever since. They made a silent post-apocalyptic short before A Quiet Place. They then developed that into a bigger idea. They wanted to merge Jaws with Alien. Now, this ties into the start because we should talk about the first kill mm. in the movie by the monsters mm. is that little kid tell me about how that little kid ends up dying it's harrowing it's so harrowing The he's what's his name i can't remember um anyway he's four years old he's the youngest son of this family of five and he's been born he's been born into a world where you could make a noise and he's trying to adapt to this world and he doesn't like it because he's four um and he wants to play with a toy rocket yep and his dad tells him via sign language that you ca- he can't because it's too noisy. It's got batteries in it and it makes a little electrical noise. Yep. But his sister, because seeing how sort of sad he is and bereft about not being able to play with his toy, gives it back to him. They're walking back to their house and because he's four and four-year-olds don't listen, um, ironically, mm. to anything anyone ever says, he puts the batteries back into the toy and sets the toy off. And out of nowhere, this long-limbed monster appears and you can see that it's going to snatch him. And his dad, John Krasinski, runs to, I don't know what his plan is, but kick it or something. At like, that point, it's a father's love. Because I asked yeah. myself that question. These things, you can't beat them in hand-to-hand combat. Yeah. As we learn later on, they're covered in bloody armour. Yeah. But he is running because he's like, i got to do something. Yeah, but that's why that scene is also so powerful. Because Emily Blunt, the boy's mum, she can't even scream because she knows that that would set a monster on her. Mm. But to scream is obviously the most natural reaction in the world, as well as running towards your son to save him. But she very sensibly, at what have been a great personal cost, puts her hand over her mouth because she knows that she'll bring danger on the rest of the family. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. It's um, it's a hell of an opening. To use the Jaws comparison, it's as if in Jaws, the first death had not been uh, the one that it was, but instead been the Kitna boy who goes out yeah. on the lilo if you'd opened yeah. with that death. Because there are similarities, because the Kitna boy's mum is like, Alex Kitna's his name, his mum goes, don't go in the water, you've had enough time in the water, don't go. He's like, please, no, let me, I'm going to do it. And kind of disobeys her mm. in the same way this four-year-old does in this and puts the batteries back in it. Problem, John Krasinski should have just given him the rocket without the batteries. It would have been fine. Why did he go? You can't have either. He says it's too loud. It's like, no, Dad, I've taken the batteries out. Yeah. So now it's just a bit of plastic. Exactly. It's fine. And if if he'd done that... It would still be with us. He'd still have his youngest. I think it's... I really struggled. I, it was a proper moment. It was like, oh, they've killed the child. Mm. But I think it's necessary for us to be able to make the bridge to a, a plot point that I know has caused a lot of consternation because it is bonkers. But that when you there, you go from the scene on the bridge to that's day 89. Then we go to day 472 mm. and Emily Blunt is like nine, eight and a half, nine months pregnant. Mm. And instantly you're just like, why the fucking fuck would you do this? Why would you be pregnant? Like you, you have access to a lot of medical supplies. So it seems a bit odd that it would be um, unplanned. Yep. Um, but why would you do it? But because of the grief of losing a child, that sort of I think that smooths over those cracks. Interesting. I hadn't connected the two because obviously a lot of people do ask the question: mm. Did it happen beforehand? But you do the math. You uh, can't have done no. math. I've been watching too many American movies. Do the maths, <laughs> and and yeah, it happened afterwards. So yeah, I didn't connect the grief. So they're actually going screw it, we'll deal with this because yeah. we need to overcome the loss yeah. of HR by making another. Does it work like that? It, I don't believe it does. I hope I've never find out. Um, but 
also in another way like what kind of what are you going to do like is that is are you just never going to have is no one ever going to have a baby i thought what would have been interesting is if they'd somehow framed that the family were waiting to be rescued rather than thinking this was it because having a baby um what are you going to do you're going to put it in a box fine sort <laughs> of but babies make a lot of noise but they make even more noise when they're like what in a box well, no, they, i think they quite like it it's like extreme sleep training which i'll bore you about later if you don't know what that is um but a one-year-old makes a shitload of noise you can't put a one-year-old in a box not really so what was the plan right so if there was some sort of like we think the military might be coming even however loosely that again would smooth over that crack of like what what was your plan when this baby was six months old nine months old when they're really ramping up the noise yeah i guess that would have been a great idea if they were going for a bigger time frame Mm. and the idea that you know the military might come at X time in the future and it was a question of surviving till that point. I will say the only thing worse than the child's death at the hands of the bat creature at the start and the thing that really made me go, God, this is going to be a terrifying 90 minutes, is everyone is barefoot. I know. I felt violated. But also really lingeringly barefoot. So it's not like, oh, we've got no shoes on, which to me also seems weird because trainers are quite quiet. Yeah. And also you're not going to step on a nail (laughs) later on. But all these shots of feet, I thought you must be like writhing around on your sofa, terrified. I just realised how short an amount of time I would survive in this post-apocalyptic okay. world because I would see my first pair of feet and I'd be like, oh, yeah, and then gone. Straight dead. <laughs> Straight dead. Like, I'd be, feet dead. Feet dead. Over. It'd be over for me. Um, quick side note, John Krasinski looks lovely with a beard and a lumberjack shirt. I, I, I get it. But then I was like, you can find an oxygen tank, but you can't find razors. Like, why has he got? We're survivalists, so we have to have the survival beard. But you don't have to. Yeah, I think you do. I mean, it's a look. You've got it to go is, for yeah. it. You just wait. Give it a couple of months. We're all going to have huge beards. I would look like that without... <laughs> without the finest the super drug has got to offer me you'd look like a beautiful thick blonde beard like a, oh, like very, a viking very viking actually that's nice actually yeah. I can own that I think so we see after day, hundred, uh, day 472 that they've set up their new life on this farm and they've got crops and they've got a room underneath where John Krasinski is attempting to contact people, a bank of radio monitors. They've got a light system where they can turn the lights red or uh, normal to signify danger. They've got a huge grain silo. It's to be assumed that they lived on this farm already. I think so. Yeah, Yeah. because they have their family photos upstairs. so They haven't just occupied it. But then that's interesting because that begs the question, if they already lived there, did they already have that much CCTV Mm. on a farm, on a homestead? Well, my problem with this is like it's 472 days. It's about a year and a half. Mm. They've done a lot yeah. in it. I mean, <laughs> I know a year and a half is a long time and you don't have TV anymore, but no. I, that's a, I haven't cleaned my fridge out yeah. in a year and a half. Yeah. And they have like literally... A warning system. Exactly. Yeah. Eyes on everywhere. Mm-hmm. One thing I was disappointed with uh, was the whiteboard. Uh, I thought it was a waste of a whiteboard. If you've been down there for a year and a half and you've been strategizing how to get rid of these aliens, yep. I assume they're aliens, you don't just have six things written down which says, these are bad, we are not, want to kill them, how? Which is essentially <laughs> all he's got. I thought that was a bit weak. Like, I like a murder board. You know I do, with the red string and the... But that was a poor murder board. Yeah, he really... 
They are indestructible. Is yeah. kind of what it they says. They are hunting yeah. us. Yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> Something to do with sound. <laughs> Yeah. What that? Off. Wonder what it could be. You've got that. You know that. If you forget that, <laughs> yeah. So um, John Krasinski, obviously, he directed this as well. So he saw the script from uh, Beck and Woods, and he did a rewrite on it, and he loved it. And initially, Emily Blunt wasn't going to be in it, and then apparently they were sitting on a plane together, and he went, "Read this," and she did, and she went, "I have to do this." Which is a lovely story, I imagine. You know, it's like, I'll work with my husband on this, which would be lovely. Or he gets to work with his wife. It's great, huh? Mm-hmm. Um, so she does it, and she is great in this. She is brilliant. I would rather always see Emily Blunt in movies like this or Edge of Tomorrow being a badass than Mary Poppins Returns. That's just me. Y- yeah, I'm sure that the uh, demographic marketing would also back that up. Yep. I just, you know, I think she's great. Uh, we'll get onto the shotgun bit at the end. So the agent uh, for uh, Beckham Woods sent this script to the loudest director in the world, Chris's notes, Michael Bay. All oh, right, yeah. So he's a producer on this. And um, yeah, it's uh, it sort of saw the light of day uh, very quickly after everyone got involved. And um, yeah, that's all Chris's notes. Sorry, I'm just reading Chris's notes here. It's funny Ooh. how it's... Less interesting when you read it out. I, n- I never thought I'd say that. It's amazing. Uh, he can make trivia sound sort of like trivia, but... It's clearly a trick because yeah. you've just said that and that's not that interesting. Thanks very much. Thanks very much. Well, look, you know, I'm filling his shoes here. But he needs to show up next time. And um, so, do you know where the creatures came from? Space. Oh, no, I don't know. Yes? You're absolutely right. A meteor. Do you know no, this? Wait. No, I don't know. <laughs> Sorry, no, I'm just guessing. It's <laughs> from a space. Did Chris email you his notes as well? Did they fly a spaceship through space? No, now you've gone. You're getting colder. Right. Much colder. Okay. Uh, no, the aliens came to Earth in a meteor, and uh, the writers put a backstory together, but they didn't include it in the script on the basis that the family doesn't know what's happening, so why should we? Which I think is really good. It was only yeah. afterwards when I read the Wikipedia entry for this that I even found out they were extraterrestrials. Didn't concern me where they'd come from when I was watching this. No, I, but only because I assumed that because of how they look, they were not, not normal Earth creatures. <laughs> Ah, oh, come on. God knows. All you need is a genetics lab. You can cook up anything. That's true. Yep. That's true. What do you make of the life that the family have got then? Do you think it's nice? Do you like this little setup they've got going on the farm? Obviously, oh. taking the fact that no one can make a bloody sound out no, of the equation. I, in terms of how tense it was, it seemed to me, but again, this is because of my own weakness and loud voice. It seemed intolerable, mm. unbearable. Like, I couldn't bear it to watch it. Because <laughs> there's a bit where the kids knock over the lamp and the small yeah. Fire starts and John Krasinski clearly is furious. Yeah. But he can't be like, bloody kids! Yeah. Because of the sound monsters. So he just bottles it up. Now, either this teaches you a way of controlling your anger, or at some point further down the line, you have a heart attack. You're just going to explode. Yeah. Your heart, yeah. That's what I think would happen. You have to have that release valve. You have to be able to scream occasionally at the children. Mm or outside, or whatever. Obviously not when anyone else is looking. Mm. That's actually one of the hardest things about telling children off, is if you suddenly get caught doing it, because you have to really modify your voice on the fly to be like, what have we said about throwing rocks at mummy? And then afterwards, if you ever do it. (laughs) (laughs) The minute the nice lady has walked away. Yeah. I am... This movie doesn't make me want to have children. No. <laughs> I mean, neither of these films do. It looks... I mean, granted, these are heightened stress situations, but both of them... Oof. It's a lot of work. 
Yeah, it is, it's always a lot of work. Uh, but it's made easier for uh, John Krasinski and Emily Blunt by the fact that their two kids do exactly as they're told more or less all the time, mm. which is it'll, like, just ridiculous, um, but makes it doable. I only, I just thought, and I, this is, I don't want to pick holes because I think it is a perfect 90-minute high-concept horror film. Um, but if you, why is your best effort at soundproofing a room a mattress? <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, is it a myth that egg boxes work? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not. It's they, do, they do work. It's the hollow air. It's like a, a insulates yeah. the sound. Yeah. Right. So, and there's a supermarket. Yeah, but you don't know what's underneath all the newspaper they've uh, they've pasted to the walls. There oh, could be a true. layer of egg boxes yeah. and they put the newspaper on the outside. I don't know. I think it's pretty good. Yeah. I was quite impressed. Yeah. I like the homes. I like the way it looks at the... The, when they're having a family meal and they're eating off leaves so there's no sound of cutlery on plate right. why did you just roll your eyes no I'm, I know the scene you mean I, I, I so I saw that scene and it's a beautiful fish and mm-hmm. so much greenery from their vegetable patch there's yep. a salad and I was like watching this eating flaming hot Cheetos out of the bag with a can of lilt <laughs> and I was like I am being shamed by this post-apocalyptic family <laughs> they have a more nutritious lifestyle yeah. than you do I was like why do oh I feel God, bad? Oh my God, that's fucking shout out for Lilt. I forgot about Lilt. <laughs> Love that stuff. Yeah, I think it's past its sell-back date, the stuff that I've got. I don't know that you can buy it anymore. The only place <laughs> I've found... I've been seen it for years. Yeah, there's a news agent I know who still sells it, but he doesn't put it on the shelves. He goes, do you want kind of Lilt? And I'm like, yeah, <laughs> He okay. reaches down yeah. and blows the dust off. Uh, so it's about 45 minutes in before we really get into the action okay. of this movie you get 45 minutes of build-up and then it really starts where they meet the old dude in the woods yes yeah yeah because millicent simmons who plays uh the daughter uh is a deaf actress in real life um she's not allowed to go on this man-making expedition yeah i thought that was really interesting and i think i was there was a flare of annoyance of like why are we doing this very traditional he needs to go to learn how to fish when she, she's called Regan, mm. is clearly more capable and actually wants to go and learn how, like, survival skills. But then I thought it must be because uh, John Krasinski doesn't think he's going to be around forever. And so you teach the child that is currently less capable because if it all ended for him tomorrow, mm. Regan probably would be all right. So she doesn't need any more teaching, like, right now. Is that what you think? Yeah, it is. I, I hope that's what it is because otherwise it's a bit shit, isn't it? To be like, you stay at home and do the washing. Right. I'll take this boy out to hunt some fish. And you've got to imagine the film is too clever for it to be that sort of classic. The men are going to yeah. do this and the women should do that. Yeah. I wondered whether it was leaning on, although it seems petty, uh, but if he really was in some way genuinely still angry with her for what happened to the young child, their youngest, yeah. and he blames her for that, which she clearly thinks he does. Yeah as the first conversation in the whole movie, the first time we hear a conversation is his son sort of go, do you blame her because she thinks you do or she blames herself? Mm. Um, so you wonder whether it's that, whether there is some latent anger there, no? I suppose. I, just... I mean, it would be stupid seeing as survival is number one priority and, you know, get over it, John. Yeah, I suppose I'm just projecting myself onto that. Is that you, you would never blame that. You just couldn't. You wouldn't do that to your child. It's not possible to hold that again. You'd be a, you can be very angry at the situation and the choices she made within that situation, but I don't believe, like, just jumping slightly to the end when he, when he finally says to her, I've always loved you. It's like, well, of course you have. Like, you're, you're a dad. Like, I just assume a lot about family dynamics. Yeah. But, it's, but that moment where he does say that, jumping ahead, and he does say that, 
I've always loved you. It does seem like the movie has been playing on that arc for that to be as impactful as it has. There has to have been that suggestion that she didn't know that until that moment where he bothers to tell her. Yeah. So are we saying that he hasn't shown it or perhaps she's just got it into her head that he blames her because she yeah, feels yeah. responsible? That's more, she's a child. That's much more likely right. that she would have that response. The only other thing I thought it could be is, and then this might be, I might be inferring too much, but because her hearing aids don't work, she's unaware of the amount of noise she makes. Mm. So she, it's too dangerous actually to have her uh, out learning to do things because she could inadvertently make a noise and she wouldn't hear it. Is that right? Yeah. But they don't ever touch on that. No. It's, a, it's, a, it's a great question, but then that should be applicable throughout. Like yeah. anytime she's walking around, she has she needs another family member there yeah. to go, actually, no, that's... Yeah, and she runs away. She packs her bag because she's pissed off with her dad. And I thought that was going to go somewhere else, like physically, literally go somewhere else. But she runs to the gravesite of her brother mm. and then she runs back again. It's like, I, that was, I thought she was going to go and do something to put herself in more danger rather than just have a bit of a back and forth. Well, Chris has written down... Um, oh, what, is he told me I'm wrong? No, he hasn't, right. but that would be hilarious if he preempted you from a distance. <laughs> just just put into the notes, like, at the 15-minute mark, mm, yeah. just tell her she's wrong. Yeah, please tell Vicky this. Uh, no, he says he found that moment heartbreaking where she puts the rocket, the it's toy rocket, sad, yeah. on uh, her baby brother's grave. It's very hard, yeah. Dana. Yeah, it's really sad. Was it really? Yeah. I, I don't think I approached this movie with my usual cold, uh, like, glacial mindset. <laughs> I was moved. By, by what? By, by the feet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, here's a grave for a yeah. four-year-old. Fuck's sake. Yeah, Go grow up. <laughs> delicious fish on leaves now. Um, also, I was obsessed with the food. Because was it fish or was it crab? And I was like, either was is great. Fish? Where are they going to get crab? I, I don't, don't know. <laughs> That's why I don't I live on the coast. <laughs> I'm sure there are freshwater crabs, but he's literally, we see him catching fish. Yeah, but then she had crab on a griddle and I was like, oh, smoked crab. She didn't have crab. There was no crab in this. You watch it back <laughs> and you tell me that you don't see two massive freshwater crabs. Hit us up on Twitter, at ClashPod, <laughs> hashtag Clash comment. Were there crabs in a quiet place? <laughs> two crabs, I, yes, double crab. I don't think there was a double crab. Um, no, I um, I just thought, it's that weird moment. First of all, the pliers that he gives her at the start. Oh, yeah. What are they about? Why yeah. Why are they significant? Uh, why does he give her them? Because uh, he uses them for the earpieces. She doesn't do anything with them. Oh, so, so... that's what it means, because he says these are for you. Do you remember? Right, but so he gives them to her. As a present, yeah. Yeah, but then she has them when she... This is the, my problem with that whole uh, rocket scene. Never has there been a moment where cutting the right wire has been really important, <laughs> because... Oh, yeah, I she cuts the, the green wire. So she has a, a knowledge of how these devices work. Yeah. And she's making sure that the sound is definitely, definitely off because yeah. she wants to put the batteries back in, and make the lights go, which all seems unnecessarily dangerous if you don't cut the right wire. Yeah, it does. And also because she's deaf, she won't know if it's making sound or not. So no, she gets her head ripped off, I suppose. Well, at that point she'll know. Yeah. Yeah. But at that but, point, oh, you know, shit. you want to be given the option of going, let me try that again. <laughs> Um. Yeah. Uh. So at the forty-five minute mark, we meet the guy in the woods. His wife is dead. Mm-hmm. Do we think she's been killed by a creature? She doesn't. She have like a gash across her stomach. She does, which very much looks like one of these creatures' pincers has slashed her open. But why has she not been eaten? Maybe she doesn't taste very nice. Maybe he's killed her. I thought he killed her. Right. If I'm honest, there I, you go. The minute because he looks so deranged, I was like. The, he's he's eating her basically. 
Maybe they had a difficult relationship before they self-isolated. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm going to stop using that term. Maybe they had a difficult relationship before they shut themselves away and had to be quiet. And that has just, you know, it's escalated. Mm-hmm. And um, and yeah, he's had enough of her. Like I said, a release valve. Because he does have a maniacal look in his eye when he yeah. goes. Bleh! Yeah, she made me do it. Yeah. Yeah. So I think he's um, a psychopath who's killed her. Then he gets killed himself. The nicer thing is to assume that he was heartbroken at yes. his wife's demise and he's had enough. But the creatures eat their dead. Yeah, they do. Not their dead, the dead. Or both. We don't know. We don't know. No. We, we just don't know. And um, with so much to go on in this film, it's a waste of time <laughs> hypothesizing about a creature's diet outside of humankind. And I'm, Raccoons. Yep. Thank you, raccoons. They are raccoons, aren't they? Yes. They don't look like raccoons. They look a bit too podgy. I like a svelte raccoon. You like a sleek raccoon. Just something, you know. I thought not were... carrying any extra weight. Yeah, I'm, not, I'm not. I'm listening. If I yeah. was, if I was on the BMI of a raccoon is quite important to you. I'm concerned for their health, not yeah. for any other. Not for reason. how they look to no, you. No, it's not an aesthetic thing. I just care about raccoons and just sort of in this environment of the end of the world. But they don't know to be quiet. Bang, gone, gone, gone. Uh, now, but not the birds. So that doesn't make any sense, does it? Or is that bird box? No, there, obviously there are birds in bird box. There's a flock of birds at the start, mm. and I thought this they were just you know oh. going to get scooped out of the sky. By what? By a a land-based extraterrestrial creature. By a, a monster. That can't fly. From outer space. Right. Sco- <laughs> yeah. Scooped out how, though? But I'm just saying, as a shot choice, there's a flock of birds. So I was like, oh, the animals are okay. So that's what I'm supposed to think as a viewer. But the raccoon, oh, I suppose land-based. Yeah, that being the case, I was sort of just waiting for you to catch up. (laughs) You know, one of a bird's defence mechanisms is flight. But then, actually, no, I will double down on this because then it's confusing. Because then the government advice is go underground, but it should be go to the skies like the birds. Yeah, yeah. yeah. If we could fly like birds. We can build tree houses. I'm assuming that the government's advice was directed at other land-based organisms, primarily humans. Not raccoons. (laughs) (laughs) Well, yeah. I mean, if there was a raccoon, like, holed up with a shortwave radio going, <laughs> which meant raccoons, please. Please help me. <laughs> or be quiet. Or shut up. Yeah. yeah. One of the two. Yeah, raccoons do be quiet. Yep. Yeah. Um, so the bleh, man in the woods screaming scene simultaneously is when Emily Blunt's waters break back in the farmhouse. Yes. And this sets off. Uh, and a magnificent series of uh, set pieces mm. because her waters have broken and she also steps on a nail. Mm. She really does. It goes right in there. Mm. I love that moment because I hate feet. So you I'm want like, them to suffer. Take that foot. <laughs> Take that your own foot. Yeah. Um, it's a great device because it gives us a time frame on how soon she needs to be saved and how soon they need to sort out the monsters creeping around the house yeah because once the baby pops out so they've got to get there quickly which makes it all the more tense already what did you make of that sequence uh it's she's does an amazing amazing job um emily blunt as an actor it's incredible um the fact that she like you know not being able to scream through a contraction is obviously not ideal um, and running away from a murderous creature. There's a lot going on for her there. The hiding in the bathtub thing, I got that because obviously you want to uh, be somewhere where stuff like fluid can drain away. But then I thought it was quite a fun homage to lots of other horror films because you've got a woman in a bathtub or a bathroom of some sort. Mm. Um, the only 
When she finally gets to scream, I was thrilled for her. So the warning system that she sets off because there's a monster in the house alerts John Krasinski to the fact that something very bad has happened. And he tells his kids to use their, I don't know if it's like their last resort, but their warning system, which Mm. is to set off a lot of fireworks to distract the creatures. Yep. Um, And she finally gets to have this huge scream. And the only bit I was like, but don't let there be a baby 30 seconds after that, because that's not. Usually, I mean, I know it's their fourth child, so maybe that's just flying out of there. But <laughs> it's unlikely to, for it to be very, very, very quick. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Okay. Okay. Um, it works for the movie, though. I mean, it's, yeah, you can't have a three, four day labor mm. in a film that relies on you not making any noise, <laughs> basically. So I, that got a, uh, my um, tick uh, review system that I uh, have incorporated. I'm going to let you behind the scenes. Okay, on this elaborate system. Yeah, it's a, one tick if I quite like it, two ticks if I really like it, and three ticks if it's absolutely bloody brilliant. It's fucking amazing. So uh, that whole moment, and it, you, absolutely picked it out the bit where the first firework goes off and she simultaneously lets out that yeah, scream it's, it's goosebumps that's yeah. goosebumps cinema for me yeah and i wish there were more moments like that in it in this film because i think it's capable of them clearly between the script and krasinski's direction yeah. and emily blunt's performance they are capable of giving you real goosebumps moments yeah and that they're too few and far between when a film goes look what we can do you're like why are you not attaining yeah that level more frequently and i know it's all about waves and slow builds and peaks but that whole setup the rising tension and mm. that release for both the audience like emotionally and for her as a character perfect cinema yeah and then the bloodied hand on the shower stall as well mm. like which is um a, such a like iconic motif but then it's like oh little baby yeah like that's nice and the bit i mean it's so well played because you've got the release you've got him looking for her in the house with the shotgun he sees the blood in the bath he thinks she's dead. No. And you get that literal, like, 30 seconds of him. It, it, it has its cake and it eats it because you get the emotion of him breaking down. Even though you know she's not going to be dead, he's like, oh, my God, she's dead. And you get that beat and then she's alive and you get that release. Two releases. Yeah, and he's like, oh, shit, now I've got to deal with the baby. <laughs> Nightmare. I don't, it's the, the disparity. Again, I hope this isn't a thing, like, the gender roles. Like, Emily Blunt's life is just so uneven. Like, because all she'd done before that is do the washing. Mm. So it's like men go out and hunt fish and have chats by waterfalls and be men and women do washing but then deliver your own baby. (laughs) (laughs) It's like from naught to 60. It doesn't seem fair. Well, I've got that written down. In a movie that makes very few stupid decisions on behalf of its characters, like most horror movies have to do at some point, there's very, very few in this. Uh, One of them is... I know they make a point of going due date and it's about two weeks away on the calendar. I don't know, two weeks and you're going to go off on a little man-making expedition with your son. I'm like, I wouldn't have done that. Yeah, you need to do do that for the movie. But nah, I I think that was one stupid thing. Second stupid thing is the kid running through the cornfield when he's being chased by the monster on the silent sand path. Mm Mm-hmm. And he does a sharp left mm. into the corn, which obviously rustles, and he's chased by the creature. Yeah, you're like, why? Why, why did have you, you not? That? Yeah. But then I thought, actually, giving the movie its due, perhaps that is just a natural instinct. It's only been a year and a half yeah. in this world, and the natural instinct, genetically, for a human in its like flight state of mm-hmm. mind, is to hide. Yeah. Because they still do. The kids hide in a truck. He hides in a cornfield. Yeah. They, they hide because naturally. That is how you would escape a predator. Yeah. 
And I like that little boy. I like the fact that he seems to change a little bit, I think, uh, by the end of the film. I don't I don't think he comes out of it like an action hero. No. And I like the fact that he's the one holding the baby at the end. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do like the fact that he's terrified. to. I mean, it's so harsh. Like, I, I would just wouldn't be able to. When his dad is saying, come on, son, we're going to go out and face some monsters and catch some fish. <laughs> and he says to his mum, don't make me go. And I'd be like, don't go then. Like, let's not worry about it. It's fine. But she... That in a way, it made me like her character more because it was harder to latch onto her. Because I was like, I do, I don't understand that. That's a hard choice to make. Like, I think it's quite a hard thing to ask your son to do, who's begging you not to do it. Yeah, maybe she just wanted him out of the house because she had some washing to do. She clearly had a lot of washing to do. <laughs> maybe a bit of cooking. She wanted to read a Mills and Boone novel she'd found. You know, yeah. classic. She wanted to stuff. sit in a nursing chair and look sad <laughs> and beautiful. <laughs> Listen to a bit of Neil Young. Kick back. Um. So we get the climax of the movie, which begins in the grain silo. Interestingly, the writers, um, I don't know if it was both of them or one of them, grew up on a farm and they were always told that grain silos were incredibly dangerous yeah. places to go. Uh, so they wanted to set it there. And, uh, you know, using this movie as my first education on the dangers of a grain silo. You didn't grow up on a farm. I didn't I grow up on a farm. You never went anywhere near a railway line, to be yeah. fair to you, because those public service announcements worked. Mm. I assume you didn't fuck around near a canal either. No. No. I was quite... When we used to go walking, I was fascinated by slurry pits on farms, which I've since found are incredibly dangerous as of course well. they are. The fumes alone can mm. overpower you. That's right, and you fall in then because you're unconscious. Yeah, you're gone. Yeah. Have you ever been to Glastonbury? You've been near the, like, the open flushing toilets. Glastonbury's the music festival. <laughs> anyway, if you want a toilet that flushes, yep. there is a special queue of them, but it just goes straight down into a slurry pit. And it is fascinating because you know you shouldn't stare and look because it's gross. But there is a thought that you could just, just tip in there. Yeah, I, I'm always puzzled by the people who, at a music festival, the ones who put their tents, pitch their tents, like, near... The toilet. The toilet. Yes, gross. But I'm. it's like, it's not like there isn't history of those things overflowing and the mud and <laughs> yeah. fecal matter merging. Yeah. So at what point do you go, well, we're quite close to main stage, but we are covered in shit. <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> yeah, I'd say let's do it. It's a strange one. Yeah. I mean, not everyone gets VIP like you, babe. That's the thing. Like some of us have got a pitch up in a sewer. Have you been to Glastonbury? I have, yeah. <laughs> Last time I went was 1997. Yeah, I went in 98. So it's, um, I mean, those days are behind me. Yeah. First time. What was the first music festival you went to? A V in Leeds. Oh, really? Yeah. I can't even remember who was on. It was a long time ago. I went to... Mine was Reading in 1995. White Zombie were on. Jesus. Rob Zombie's band. Yeah, it was good. Although, you know, that thing that you always want to happen at a festival where, you know, you have a little festival romance. Mm. Um, A girl went, hey, do you want to come back to my tent? I was like, 16 years old. (laughs) And I was like, Blimey, this is real. <laughs> and then um, we got to her tent and she um, she put my finger in her mouth. And She's I, sorry, and yeah, this uh, this was the Sunday of like Reading. And I just remember thinking, I wouldn't put my own finger in my mouth right now. <laughs> You've not had a shower for like. I don't know where I've been. These nails are thick with dirt. What are you doing? And I was so repulsed. I just went, excuse me a minute. And I ran out of that tent and I ran across the festival campsite. So what I'm saying is if you've, if you've never had a festival romance, overrated. And okay. also a hygiene nightmare. It's such a shame you didn't get to find out what her, her plan was after the <laughs> finger. Like, what else can go 
going there. But I, ima- <laughs> I imagine there would be kissing involved after that. And I'm like, I don't want my own nail dirt bass passed <laughs> back into my mouth. Because it's been in your mouth. I thought you were going to say, she took me back to her tennis, she mugged you. <laughs> yeah, not, uh, she emotionally mugged me. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah, why did we get into Glastonbury? Oh, yes, uh, that's right. Um, grain silos. Grain silos. So we got that huge, that, that terrifying moment where they're sinking in the grain. And then we get into an aspect that I remember being frustrated about at the cinema and I was frustrated about it again when I watched it now, which is this earpiece there, the hearing aid idea Mm. and the fact that the frequency of the hearing aid can destroy the monsters or at least make them very uncomfortable initially. It causes them pain, I think. Yeah. 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 Because it makes John Krasinski's death a little bit unnecessary because she turns off her hearing aid. Because she doesn't know. She doesn't know. And there's nothing that annoys me more in a film where you know something they don't. Mm. And especially if it's something, I mean, it's, it's irritating enough if it's like a sort of, uh, you've walked into the wrong room or gone, the, whatever it is, or you've misheard, mishearing in films is obviously irritating. But with something as crucial as this, for a girl that's been set up to be super smart, yep. in a house that's full of technology, with a dad who understands how hearing aids work, mm. which most of us don't really, mm. it's, you're waiting for her to cotton on. And I think the actress does it brilliantly when she finally realises, because you're not like, fucking hell, like, but it's so frustrating because you were waiting for her to figure it out. And there's so many, her brother seems to have almost figured it out at some point, but doesn't quite get time to tell her. Cause really? I don't think he, has he figured it out? I don't think, but there's a look between them when it's happening in the truck. And he, I thought he was going to be like, I, he's figured it out. And I don't then he think can be so. useful. I mean, that would be, that would be interesting. But because there's that, the only, it's a little bit of a leap because I wrote down, can't remember how she eventually realises the earpiece is going to help her. The hearing aid uh, is going to help her do it. And I was hoping there was some sort of, like a little, I don't know, a kind of, you know, a magic butter, a magic bullet that was suddenly going to go, oh, but it's not really. It's a bit clumsy. She ends up in the basement Mm. with the creature and sort of looks at the hearing aids, then looks at some of his work on the wall. Looks at his poor whiteboard, shitty murderboard. Looks at sort of like newspaper articles that say things like, it's sound! And she sort of clumsily goes, "Uh -uh oh, oh. And it's a great moment, like when she finally can kill them, because you are these creatures you have no sympathy for. Uh, Which is good, because sometimes for a monster, I think they're well designed. Yeah, I think that... I mean, in comparison to Bird Box, which obviously we'll get to, it's obviously there's a lot of CGI going on, which I'm, I don't know, I can't really be bothered with. But as these things go, I like the design. I like the sort of armor, armor flaps is what I'll say. Armor flaps, <laughs> armor yep. flaps. I think that's what they call them, yeah. Because <laughs> that's actually quite an ominous sounding thing. And I like the ear, you know, they've got this sort of oscillating mm. ear, yeah, which was really effective. And they've got the, uh, the um, alien, Geiger motif of no eyes which always makes things scarier yeah, yeah. Um, Chris has quite rightly pointed out uh, he thinks they look a bit silly with the big arms uh, the designers <laughs> used prehistoric fish black snakes and bats to get the look uh, and also bog people a human cadaver mummified in a peat bog oh my god I'm obsessed with them <laughs> <laughs> yes what a week for Chris to be off that's Chris that's amazing Text me later. Amazing! <laughs> You're obsessed with peat people. When we get out of this room, I will show you a picture and you are going to shit yourself. <laughs> they are terrifying. They're perfectly preserved because of... The, well, Chris will tell you. I look forward to shitting myself later. <laughs> it's just like you are... It's a window to the past. It's incredible. Yeah. Wasn't there the famous one where it was faked, though? They, yeah. 
in the UK, they pop so like um, um, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, <laughs> it, uh, looks, well, it looks rubbish. Yeah, let's save it for later. Uh, uh, the uh, he says, and I hadn't noticed this, but if I put more thought into it, but it wasn't my movie; it was his. So well done, Chris. He says it looks like the Demogorgon from Stranger Things, which is kind of true. Yeah, it does. Kind of true. Um, all right, and then we get the end and the brilliant end, which is like. Yeah, we can defeat them with sound. Thank God we finally realised it's his frequency, yep. the hearing aid. Can, can, now you need a gun as well. Yes. Yeah. This, yeah. Is, this is time to cock a shotgun. Yes, and basically wink at the camera mm. and be like, yes, I am. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's brilliant. Yeah. I really love that moment. And then we get to the end. So let's do uh, the bits on A Quiet Place. Uh, we'll start with your favourite scene. Victoria, what was your favourite scene? Well, it just has to be the final shot, which I know isn't a scene, but just the shot. Like, uh, of Emily Blunt, of standing, Emily with Blunt a standing with a shotgun. Lock and load. Let's fucking have it. It's really good. Like, and she's got her prairie frock on and she's just <laughs> given birth and the baby's somewhere. Um, and I, I think that's amazing. Like, mm. I'd love the look on her face because it is otherwise a lot of tension and a lot of trauma, actually. And it's just a bit of a cheeky... I mean, unless I'm reading too much into it, but I thought she had a little bit of a cheeky glint in her eye, um, which I liked. So that's my moment. Best scene, rather. That is a great moment. That is, uh, that is, that's your favourite scene. My favourite scene, I've already covered, it's where the fireworks go off and she goes, oh, bloody hell, at that the same stings, time. That stings, yeah. It yeah. really stings. Uh, it gave me goosebumps. Um, the only other moment that gave me goosebumps was... And even though I was a bit frustrated with the mechanics around it, John Krasinski's death is um, quite a touching, touching moment. Mm. Okay, MVW, your most valuable whatever in this film. Oh, it just has to be Emily Blunt. Uh, Very short answer, yeah. Just everything she goes through without being able to make a noise is incredible. Yeah, I am going with the... Oh, it's a difficult one. I'm actually going with John Krasinski, um, not just for his performance, which I think is great, but I think as, you know, his like first, is it his first feature? It's certainly his first studio feature. I just think it's an incredible, incredibly like competent, better than competent, uh, assured is the word I was looking for. Yeah. Um, horror movie mm-hmm. debut. Yeah. It's just a really great movie to look at it doesn't overplay its hand with the creatures yep. it has just enough menace there's, i think there's one jump scare in it which is a bit like meh you don't need to do that where the kid's hand shoots out from underneath the tractor when the girl picks up the torch um her little yeah, brother yeah, yeah. i'm just like you don't need that and yep. it didn't work so you didn't need to do a sort of half-ass jump scare there but aside from that i think it's a really it's just really solid like really good it, movie yeah i'm glad i didn't know i knew the uh, premise but i hadn't read any reviews and i'm really glad because i just went into it really open and i, I really enjoyed it if it went on a minute longer though yeah I'd and didn't be... end on that shot so that's yeah. why it's so good because it's not like oh well, you see her do what or fail to do mm. to kill the monsters it's like what could be it's perfect Biggest change, not biggest change, what would you change? I've got a couple of things, is that all right? Yeah, go for Cause, it. Because Chris isn't it, so I don't get told off. Yep. Uh, so <laughs> w- what we've already talked about, which is waiting for Regan, Reagan to figure out what we already know with the hearing aids, that really, really irritates me. Yep. And there are other ways of doing it, which aren't perfect, but another thing that I thought maybe was lacking, but only in comparison to Bird Box, is we don't see any flashbacks, so we don't see what their family life was like. And if we did see what their family life was like, we'd understand more about their father-daughter dynamic. So an easy way to get around the the hearing aid thing, it's a, you know, it's not perfect, but if there's a dynamic between the dad and the daughter where she feels unable to try things or she doesn't feel 
believed or she knows more about hearing aids than he does but he won't let her do stuff like that do you know what i mean mm, yeah so it's not she doesn't you know she's not waiting to just figure out some some issue around technology she's waiting to have the confidence to do it or the empowerment to do it or for her dad to say okay you can finally try this thing do you know what i mean yeah like, it's a quick fix um and yeah and then and the baby as well just make it clear that this child was not an accident because it's really distracting because it's so bonkers to bring a baby into that situation. I'm glad you picked that one because that's mine as well. I think, you know, if people are asking questions and we had a couple of clash comments on this subject uh, about, you know, why on earth would you choose to have a baby in this scenario, not just jeopardizing your own lives, but obviously the baby's life as well. It seems for a family that is so well prepared to sit this out and get their shit together and survive mm. to do something like that. I, I know it's nice on the one hand, not to have had it quite so signposted. And, you know, we don't want to be spoon fed these things, but yeah. there is a big uh, question yeah, mark. Yeah, because there be. it's people, it's brainstorming. What are the things you could not do without making noise? And giving birth is high up the list. Mm. And nailing the foot, giving birth, arguing, death scream. Like, so giving birth is in there because it's so challenging, but you need to make it work in the story. Otherwise, we're all just going, you've only done that because we know how hard it would be. Yep. And that's not the same thing. Exactly. All right. Well, that is a quiet place over. Time to move on. Time to move on to, well, about six months later in 2018. And the movie I was given by you, Victoria, which was Bird Box. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. So... Here's my intro. I was given Bird Box, a movie in which Sandra Bullock, who has previously travelled at speed and survived gravity, must take on her biggest challenge yet. Bird Box. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> a less on-the-nose title than she's used to, which probably explains the ridiculously long running time. It's an extra half hour for her to work out what the blazers they were thinking calling the movie Bird Box. I mean, if anything, the birds in the box play a minor role in the film. And after elevating them to put in their, their name in the title, 
It's going to make them above their station. And uh, if rumours are to be believed, and I know we don't really trade in rumours on this show, uh, their Avery on the back lot was as big as Sandra Bullock's trailer. And they uh, had all their bird feed with the sunflower seeds removed. Okay. And other jokes about the birds in this movie <laughs> being divas. <laughs> I wrote in the taxi, bird box. What's going on? People describe seeing an entity that takes on the form of your worst fears. Oh, my God. What are you looking at? What did you see? What is wrong with you? Please stop it! We can't stay here. Every contact we have had with the outside has brought us death. Your kids. They deserve hope. Every single decision I have made has been for them. So, Bird Box, um, are you approaching this objectively, Victoria, or are we, in for, <laughs> are we in for another Sandra Bullock's in it? It's already won. No, that's not. I'm, I mean, I, was, I watched Bird Box first. I was like, God, I tell you what, I do really like it, even though it's had a lot of criticism. But um, I have to say, A Quiet Place, um, I, you know, I, I, can't, I haven't decided because I thought A Quiet Place was really good also. Um, I would say watching it second time round, Bird Box, made me like it more because I wasn't distracted by some of the things that happened first time, which I thought actually at the time they were quite cheap tricks. Mm. And so because I wasn't concentrating on those, maybe I thought it was better than it actually is because a lot of those things were out of my mind, such as mm. when she's uh, she's got two children, girl and boy, but the film plays around with time. And so you're not sure which of those children is her birth child yep. and which is the child that she has acquired. Yep. And she, at some point, is seeming to pick between them. And that's quite a cheap thing about, are you going to pick the kid that you gave birth to rather than the kid that you found? Yeah. And that's a bit low. Basically. And you like that less this time or more this time? <laughs> I like the fact that I know who her birth child is. and oh, I can I see, see past it because I wasn't the, uh, the sort of mystery around which child did you give birth to was mm. done for me. And so I wasn't thinking that constantly when she was talking to the kids. Mm. And that made it better. Okay, well... It's Netflix uh, released some figures when Bird Box came out. It's a Netflix movie, and it was their highest viewed movie over one weekend. 45 million people, according to Netflix, uh, watched this movie in the first weekend, the first few days, uh, which is an astonishing figure when you think about it. Mm. Obviously, people go, uh-huh. That's interesting, Netflix. Is there any way of us sort of independently measuring these figures? And they're like, no, just trust us. These are the figures. But based on Netflix figures, um, they reckon that uh, an independent system was worked out. It would have made about $98 million if it had been released at the box office globally. Okay. So a smaller hit, if we're to go on these figures, than yeah. the 300 million that A Quiet Place Is 2. Is that what it did? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Bloody hell. Yeah, it's interesting because um, it's a slightly bigger budget horror than we're used to. Because if you look at the Blumhouse models, A Quiet mm -hmm. Place, you know, was about thirty million, I believe. God, that's good, isn't it? Uh, whereas Blumhouse, sort of most horrors these days, are around ten million to make a profit. But it was worth spending that extra money on the um, the creatures and mm -hmm. the the farmhouse set because it did an astonishing amount. And we would have obviously been talking about A Quiet Place too uh, this week if it hadn't been pushed back because of the ongoing situation. So, um, do you know? 
what the highest watched Netflix movie <laughs> of all time is. You are right to cough because it's going to astonish you. Really? I've got the top three here. The Only m- the top two are interesting. It's not a Christmas Prince, is it? <laughs> <laughs> it's not a Christmas Prince or the Princess Switch. And a made for Netflix film, not yeah. something that they just carry. It's not Roma. No, it's not Roma. Neither is it's The Irishman. I'll give you a clue. We're going to be talking about it a lot in the next 30 minutes. Bird Box. Yes, yeah, Bird Box, Bird Box. Got it. the most oh, I haven't seen watched <laughs> movie from Netflix. Closely followed. So 80 million people have so far watched Bird Box. Uh, 73 million have watched the next movie, which is the Adam Sandler film Murder Mystery. Oh, lovely. Yeah, he is a huge hit. On Netflix. So it was directed by uh, Suzanne Beer, a Danish filmmaker. Uh, there's a lot of talent, uh, both in front and behind the camera, on this. Uh, she also directed a movie that I have seen, which I don't imagine you've seen or many people have seen, seeing as it uh, made around $5 million at the worldwide box office on a budget of $30 million, which is surprising when you consider who's in it. It was a movie called Serena with Bradley Cooper and oh, um, Jennifer, Jennifer Lawrence. Lawrence yeah. yeah, the period drama. Yeah. The sort of Shakespearean period drama. She's like a Lady Macbeth character set on a in a mill, I think, or some sort of some sort of period mill in the nineteen thirties. <laughs> anyway, it's rubbish. <laughs> um, so, uh, but this um, this is great. She's gone on to uh, uh, doing a, a series on. Uh, HBO, she's directing a miniseries which comes out very soon called The Undoing. And the only reason I mention that is a segue into the fact that it was written by David E. Kelly, who wrote Lake Placid. There we go, a Lake Placid mention. Let's move on. <laughs> uh, it's based on a novel, is Bird Box, which I didn't know until researching this, by um, a guy called Josh Malaman. A 2014 novel. Uh, it was adapted for the screen by a guy called Eric Heisero who uh, currently is uh, troubling cinemas with the Vin Diesel comic book adaptation Bloodshot. Oh. Yep. Uh, One of the last movies to be released before, big movies to be released before they um, started moving them. Uh, But more importantly, he was an Academy Award nominee for Arrival. I love that film. Do you? I love that film. And I know that I love it for all the mawkish reasons that people don't like it, but I love those reasons. I love it. Yeah, it's really. You recommended it to me. I like it. Yeah, yeah. I really like it. Um, I was sort of just trying to relate whether, you know, when you sort of go, "Wow, Arrival's brilliant." Mm. Did, I, I, I'm trying to sort of view it in terms of did he do as good a job on this as he could have done? Or is I'm fascinated by how people approach different projects. Yeah. Did he sort of go, well, this is a Netflix movie, so I don't know if I'm going to do as good a job as yeah, if it was a, it? a cinematic release. And I don't, I, that's not, I'm talking about people in general. Have we got past that point yet where you view a Netflix release and the talent that approach it mm. and the amount of the quality of it in the same way we'd look at something that still gets a theatrical release? I think we're past that point. I guess we are with what happened at the Oscars for the last two years. Yeah, and I think what's different, what it doesn't have the heft of Arrival because it's missing, or it, it aims for but misses, an emotional through line, mm. whereas Arrival completely nails it about motherhood and <clears throat> excuse me, what you would do if you knew you would lose your children. And that's in here, in Bird Box. Uh, but the other characters don't quite gel with that. Um, for I don't know why, but they, they, the way that they are and their stories and their, um, they, you know, a lot of people, they get their moment to say, well, this is what happened to me before I ended up at this house. Mm. And it, it just felt like there was so much big thematic stuff going on, but it didn't all come together to contribute to the through line of 
uh, family or parenthood or motherhood or whatever. It's interesting, isn't it? Because let's start going through the movie. It opens with Sandra Bullock. Uh, we learn that she's named the children boy and girl. I love the open so much. I love it. It's You can't, you don't talk to children like that. So it's so chilling. Mm-hmm. Like the fact that it's Sandra Bullock, like obviously, you know me, like I'm a hundred million percent in. Yeah, Fine. You, you love forces of nature, which no one loves. <laughs> I forgive her for forces of nature. <laughs> right, right, right. But it's, you know, it's it's not ideal. Um, But and then the fact that the kids are just, they are terrified of her. And that's such a reversal of everything that you expect. It's great. She says, if I find out you've taken off your blindfold, I will hurt you. (laughs) If you look, you will die. Mm -hmm. Do you understand, boy? Do you understand, girl? I think, "Mm -hmm." yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. I love it. I feel, I guess, like you were saying, I never quite get the payoff of her coming round at the end. I know there's a bit at the end which is supposed to go, she's finally stopped telling kids they're going to die. And I never <laughs> yeah. really get that. But we'll get to that point. So in this one, it flashes uh, back and forth uh, over a five-year window to where she is now, which is taking some kids down a river uh, to a supposed sanctuary. We learn all that very early on. Um, and then it goes back in time to where her and her sister, Sarah Paulson, who, having watched every series of American Horror Story, I'm a fan. Mm. Uh, although, have you watched American Horror Story? No. Oh, you should watch I season think I'd two. Like it, yeah. uh, season one and two are brilliant. Mm. Asylum season two, fantastic. It's hit and miss. But anyway, she is with her sister and we meet her and she's an artist. That's the other thing that annoys me. <laughs> okay. I just don't like, you know, I'm really funny about women's jobs in films. Mm. And so she's an artist. So she sees it's like, okay, like, can we, you know, when you're brainstorming, like we're going to live in a world now where you can't look. So what job should Sandra Bullock have? (laughs) And artists will be like, she should be an artist because she sees the world in a very different way. And it's like, no, 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 no. Do better. Is this like the start of the flight where Jeff Goldblum goes, I get travel sick. So I've invented a teleporter. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, she is um, also pregnant uh, with a now disappeared partner, mm-hmm. uh, Ryan. I want to say I don't remember his name. Anyway, he's not in it, so it doesn't matter. But she's got a baby, and her and her sister go to the hospital, uh, but not before we learn that something is happening. The world is ending, but in the classic uh, uh, way that initially it's like it's happening elsewhere. We're fine. Let's go to the hospital. So they go to the hospital, and. We meet uh, the doctor. And the reason I introduce all this is because in a very different way to A Quiet Place, we actually do get to see the end of the world. Yeah. And I like that. I like it when you see the the chaos. And And it's done really well. And it's very scary. Isn't it? Yeah. Terrifying. Because it's quick. I don't even know if there's much music or any music. I can't think. But it's, it's just pure action. Like, they're in the hospital. They see a woman... Uh, smashing her head awful. really calmly is yep. awful. Mm. And, and watching it at Christmas, I was like, for fuck's sake. <laughs> oh, I forgot that bit, yeah. yeah. Anyway, so that's not normal. And, With the children. Yeah. Oh, kids, don't worry. And then they're driving and Sarah Paulson looks at the monster. and Yeah, she says that terrifying thing. She says, it's. she goes, what the fuck is that? With a look of pure terror on her face. And yeah. then the eyes do that lovely little... They're like pixelate, don't they? Yeah. Or, yeah. And uh, she steps in front of a truck. She does. Yeah. So um, a big opening. And then from there, we get 
John Malkovich's <laughs> very short-lived uh, wife uh, who comes out and goes, I'm going to help her, she's pregnant. Oh, my God, I'm gone as well. Yeah. To which he stands and watches. Um, I know he's yeah. a curmudgeon, to put it nicely. He's grouchy, isn't yeah. he? Yeah. In this, but uh, he lets them into his house. And then we really flit between the action in this house with a group of survivors and Sandra Bullock in current situation on the river. What do you make of this uh, cast of people who find themselves holed up <clears throat> in this rather lovely house? They're an excellent cast, possibly too excellent. And I think it's a shame, like, if you, obviously, having seen it more than once, uh, I'm more alert to these, like, it, it maybe issues, but the act, the beginning is so action-packed, Sandra Bullock makes it into a house, and you're like, right, now we're going to get something. But mm. what happens is they stay in a house mm. for quite a long time until they decide they have to leave the house, which I think is a bit of a waste of the concept. It's fine. I don't, I think that's great. But if you're going to do that, have less characters. Yeah. So, because I feel, I honestly, watching this a second time, I'm like, I'd have watched this as a series, like a proper Walking yeah. Dead style series. Yeah. If you're going to have this many characters, then we need to spend time with them, especially when you've got a cast like this. I mean, Jackie Weaver. Yeah. It's like, we learn nothing about her. We learn nothing about who she is, why she is, what she is. She gets about three or four lines in the whole thing. And you're like, Jackie Weaver, give her something to do. But instead, we keep, they keep adding New characters like Tom Hollander comes in, which mm. is great. Um, and uh, I just, I really feel like a lot of characters in this are short. That's changed. a good point, yeah, because you could still do it. That one of the so then when Olympia turns up, that um, she's uh, a woman who's been wandering the streets because her partner is away mm. and she's heavily pregnant as well. Yep. You introduce one character, that's fine because it sets up the dy- it furthers the dynamic of the group. Like Don open the door and that like, John Markovich is a dick about it. But you could have Jackie Weaver go nuts and you know whatever be plotting in the same way that tom hollander as gary does later you don't need you want factions you want people yeah. taking sides in the house yeah. the, the idea like you know the best parts of something like the walking dead it's like it's where human nature in that situation and the most we see of that is the young couple uh, yeah. rosa salazar and um the rapper machine gun kelly who plays like felix i think uh is um they just sort of piss off. They just they do, nick yeah. the car. And it's like, neither do we see what happens to them yeah. or, you know, there's no sort of like scheming. Yeah, and there's no what, like why. What What is their... So they hate... They, they've got a mini arc. They hate each other and then they're fucking great. Mm. But... That, so that's enough to them be like, well, we'll escape together. But to what? Like, they don't know anything about the outside world. No. And there's no suggestion that someone's waiting. So did, were they just going to drive and see what happens? Exactly. And it's not like anyone's run out of food at that point. They've just come back from the supermarket. They've got loads of food. Yeah. And this is my problem. It all feels a little bit soapy, like a sort of like a, an apocalypse soap opera, the bits in the house, but in the sense that it's very gentle and it feels like stuff is leading somewhere that this movie doesn't have time to explore yeah. enough. Well, that's because John Malkovich has got to have quite a lot of monologuing. So... He's so good. He's brilliant. (laughs) It was annoying because you're like, oh, here we go. He just gets to be John Malkovich (laughs) for 10 minutes, but fine. (laughs) Yeah. uh, You know, there are two kinds of people in this world, the assholes and the dead. (laughs) It's such a crass line. (laughs) I like it. Yeah. I like the fact that his way of rationing is to pour a mini bottle of vodka. So it touches his tongue and then take it off. There's, 
I mean, there's rationing and there's... Is there any point to that, John? But the other thing is, in some character descriptions I've read of him, in other reviews, they're like, John Markovich plays an alcoholic. I was like, it's not an alcoholic. <laughs> what, what are you talking about? What? Because he goes to the supermarket, he's like, where's the booze? Like, what would you do? Yeah. Yeah. He is He is a, a very a literal manifestation of what I'd probably do. Yeah. I, although I would have gone, go, go back to the house. I'm staying in this <laughs> supermarket. Yeah. yeah. I don't want to come with you. I want you to leave me here. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, so um, let's talk about the monster and the lack of The lack of a monster. It. How do you feel about the fact that the monster is represented by leaves floating around? Yeah. I mean, I have read that they did make a monster and they were going to reveal it in the final scene in the woods. Uh, but it looked like a long pink baby. Well, the actual stories, I don't think they were going to, I don't, I didn't read that they were going to reveal it in the woods because obviously. <laughs> you know what? I've inferred that um, because that's when you would. Right. So good point. Two things. First of all, it was going to be a dream sequence. Um, Eric Heisserer said that there was a producer on the movie who went, you can't have a movie like this without seeing the monster. I want to see the monster. So you've got to write in the monster. And the way he went about doing that was to write in a dream sequence mm-hmm. where Sandra Bullock is in the house and she falls asleep and she's dreaming because obviously Sandra Bullock should be the one to see the monster, but also can't die, which she would if she saw the monster, hence the dream sequence. Okay. And Sandra Bullock wanted to see the monster that they built for the first time in shot to get uh, in the scene as they were shooting to get a genuine reaction mm-hmm. of seeing the monster. And they had the monster there and she was doing the scene. She turned around and the monster was there and she went, <laughs> I'm sorry, uh, because oh, it that's was. awful. <laughs> Imagine if that you'd spent six months making a monster. Which is what the uh, the team who made the monster said. They didn't say that directly, but they sort of went, it's a shame we spent a long time on this. It's a shame that it hasn't made the movie. And they put a picture now deleted up on Instagram of the monster. Does for it look people like a baby? To... It's rubbish. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's, that's That feels harsh. You don't know whether that was the base that they were going to then add CGI to, but compared yeah. to those drawings that Tom Hollander throws yeah, across the yeah. table, um, and the idea that it might be Cthulhu yeah. or some sort of terrifying demon. Yeah, I mean, I think the idea is seeded quite early that it would look different depending on who you are, because when John Malkovich's wife calmly sits in a burning car, mm. she asks about she asks after her mum and thinks she sees her mum. Yeah. So it's not clear. Is it the saddest thing in the world that makes you just so overpoweringly like upset? Yeah. Or because Sarah Paulson seems she to seems be horrified. Yeah. yeah, she's not sad. So I guess it takes on different forms. I guess if if I saw it, for example, and it was sad, it would be Tom Hanks shouting Wilson. Yeah. Over and over, or the montage from Up. Yeah. Or or Artex dying in the Never-Ending Story. Or a queue at the bar. <laughs> no, we're doing mine. Then we'll do yours. It's just my. It is this the worst? It's such a sinking feeling. Mm. Three deep at the bar is. Oh, oh God, what am I going to? And the stress but as well. I don't. I don't get sad by that. I get angry. Angry. At that. Yeah. I get like, quite anxious. I'm like, put more staff on. When you just see <laughs> one person, have you run a bar before? You clowns. <laughs> um, it's an interesting one, isn't it? The lack of a monster because to answer your question. The leaves shaking, it is pretty rubbish. Because it's the happening. Yeah, it's the happening. Or what's that film called that we did two weeks ago? House of Wax. The leaves shake and it's when that smell (laughs) appears. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I I, I was trying to work out how similar it was to the happening um, because I've only seen the happening once. Me too. Because the happening. Yeah, it's not great. Um, 
but it does it better than that, I guess, because it doesn't have Mark Wahlberg trying to reason with a pot plant as a <laughs> crucial moment in this. But it is strange. Uh, I'm happy with it until the scene that you just pointed out. There's a moment, and I don't think it would have undermined it, because their argument is that if it's the scariest thing anyone would see, mm-hmm. like you said, different for every person. Yeah. Fine. You wouldn't need to see it. And obviously, if someone sees it, they die. So that's a big problem for letting anyone, uh, the audience, see the monster also, yeah. potentially. That scene where it's very much like Jurassic Park, where the trees are rustling and it feels like it's on top of her. I think just just a hand, a clawed giant hand is scary in any language. You don't mm-hmm. need to see the face. I don't want to see the face. But something reaching out just to make them seem physical because we see shadows earlier. Yeah, and they're quite scary. So they are a physical yeah. thing. And it steps over the car or mm. it's when they go to do the, the supermarket run. <clears throat> it's behind and in front and on top of the car. Yeah. So it's a thing. It is a thing. Um, and it should be. And I like that thing where the proximity warning goes off all around the car. So it's a big thing. That's like me driving anyway. Like, <laughs> That's what Mark kept saying. He was he's being sorry. He's like, isn't it weird how they're driving to the supermarket they can't see, but they're better drivers than you? <laughs> yeah. So that bit of the supermarket, we first uh, get a little taste of the fact that not everyone immediately dies um, or tries to kill themselves or usually succeeds in killing themselves when they see this creature. Yeah. A select few of people who are criminally insane. Now, Good question. Mm. I thought when people said, when John Malkovich says, these people have escaped from an asylum for the criminally insane. I was like, are they a real thing outside of Arkham? Because I didn't (laughs) think they were. They're not called that, are they? Are they not called like facilities for the... Once I'm in a movie, I'm on movie logic. So I just accepted that. I didn't. If it had been in that house with everything, I'd be like, what did you just say? (laughs) A what? I'm sorry. For the criminally insane. <laughs> Ridiculous. <laughs> but what it does, because these people clearly are criminally insane, they uh, they can see it and they feel inspired, even enlightened yeah. by it. But and... I do have real issue with it because are we saying, is this film right? Is criminally insane a, a, a diagnosis, right? Is it the shorthand in this movie for these people are evil? Are we saying exactly? Are we saying that these people who have an illness are also evil, and they're all the same? But because this... one mental health condition is the same as another, which would enable you to look at the monsters. Like surely there's a, the way that Gary is, Tom Hollander, mm. maybe di- his diagnosis that landed him in Arkham Asylum <laughs> would be different from someone else, and yet the common thread is that they can all see a monster, and I think that's very dicey territory. I guess there's an interesting theory about why Tom Hollander has so many different pictures that he's drawn that are apparently very different in appearance for the creatures. It's because he could have a personality disorder. So different personalities of his have seen different things and he's drawn all of them. If he had a personality disorder, though, would one of his personalities be an acceptable, normal person so that when he turned up at your house, you weren't like, you're clearly (laughs) batshit fucking mad. Fuck off. (laughs) I mean, never has, uh, like, like, someone screamed. This is bad news. <laughs> you know. And he, what's his friend called? Alan. And he keeps saying, I was with my friend Alan. I think it's Alan. I was with my friend Alan. And then Alan was eating. And then I saw Alan. It's like, you're mad. You're obviously mad. <laughs> Out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but like so many of the cast in this, he takes average material yeah. at times and elevates it to high art. He's brilliant. So good. Yeah. So good. Uh, as... um. 
And again, a shame that his character is literally written as, do you know what? Everything that comes out of my mouth is going to cement me as a good guy. I uh, look after babies happily. <laughs> he's so fit. Uh, he, he's gorgeous. He's a soldier. Yeah, he was a soldier. He, he, him and his unit guided someone to walk to, like, looked after a guy walking mm-hmm. his kids he wears to jewelry he likes he likes sandra bullock and he's like i like you and she's like but no f- pressure yeah. which was really yeah. double tick i also have a tick system mm. but it's for men right so double tick there he's like you can clearly there's clearly something here between me and you sandra bullock but i'm gonna take my time here and because you're carrying a baby and you've got a lot going on yeah but i'm just this is a slow burn thing Lovely. And she even goes, I'm old enough to be your babysitter. And he goes, yeah, my hot babysitter. Yeah. And you're like, yep. All right, Sandra Bullock. So, yep. <laughs> um, uh, Travante Rhodes, the actor, also gets a, a maybe even a quadruple tick from me that most people won't be handing in because he's very good in The Predator. And okay. <laughs> I am a huge defender of The Predator. Isn't it funny that you're a huge defender and not a huge fan? <laughs> It's a shame that that's the way the world is. I feel like I've had to tool up in every discussion <laughs> yeah. about the Predator. So, um, he, I mean, again, he makes a character that is so over-the-top nice, yeah. like really, really believable as uh, a human. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I like him a lot, uh, yeah. which is why it's sad uh, when he dies. <laughs> um, but he does go out uh, with a bang, yeah. quite literally. yeah. It's a little bit confusing because it establishes that you could take your blindfold off and there may be, again, if the monster is a physical being, if it's not in your vicinity, then surely you can look around. Do you know what I mean? You wear a blindfold to be on the safe side because you don't know where it is. That's what the case is, though. You can look around. You can look around. But so Travante Road takes off his blindfold and says, like, fuck it. I'm going to, you know, this is going to be the end of me. This is when the criminally insane turn up. This is (laughs) later on. So by this point. Fucking Suicide Squad turns up and they're like, come out, come out, whatever. Take off your blindfold, man. It's beautiful. (laughs) And he is trying to get Sandra, as I like to call her, and the kids to safety. And so he realizes, because he knows he's a good shot because he was a beautiful soldier. Yep. Um, and he's so brave. He is. And he's so very muscly. So <laughs> then he, uh, see, I said it, oh, that was a bit, always oh, a bit like my mum. That was upsetting. Oh, he's a muscly man. <laughs> <laughs> That's awful. Anyway, um, so but he takes off his blindfold and he gets a few crucial seconds, maybe five seconds in which he can see without being overcome by the monster to kill these uh, marauders. Yeah, they do set that up, though, in their defence. They haven't just thrown that in that moment and gone, we just need that to happen here, because when Olympia is uh, just been forced to see a monster out the window by Tom Hollander being a dick, um, Sandra Bullock is like, give me the baby, please, Mm. Olympia, just give me the baby for one minute, and you've got to assume that there's a a soupçon of yep. the original person left in there to yep. do one thing before yeah. they finally overcome. Yeah. Uh, which happens to both Travante and um, and uh, uh, Olympia, the character. So, yeah, so uh, then they, um, then they uh, sort of, it all catches up with itself and they're on this boat um, with rapids. With rapids. It's beautifully shot. It is. It, unsurprisingly, with the director being uh, Danish, it does look like a Swedish crime uh series yeah um not swedish uh, scandinavian obviously um the monsters just kill people make people kill themselves they're not feeding on them 
Yeah, there's a few theories out there for what the monsters are. How would you like to perceive these monsters? Because we get a huge information dump at the start from Charlie where he goes, they're creatures, they're a biblical swarm. I'm writing yeah. a book about it. I they're... couldn't concentrate because he just said um, people think their babies are lobsters. Was like, well, sorry, what? Yeah. Yeah, he did go into uh, lobster babies, which is a real turn off when you're sort of going. This is it, it establishes yeah. very early on. We jump from something is happening to mm. there are monsters out there very mm. quickly, and people are very accepting of that. I thought that the idea that we're being hunted by oh, I never actual thought of that. creatures. Yeah, I never thought of that. They just go, oh shit, okay. Yep. Yeah. Right. The guy who's writing a novel about monsters thinks it's monsters. That'll do. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah, I like the fact that you. If it's not going to be this big, long, fat baby, then it's just nothing. And I, I'm accepting of that. It's, fine. it's just, it's just a bit of a shame that it's just leaves blowing around rather than maybe a noise or a shadow or. Yeah, um, because the only noise they do make is when they're going, "Hey, Sandra, yeah. it's, I'm still on Travante Roads. I haven't got my top on. <laughs> Look at my nipples. I save lives." <laughs> could see just one of them if you just peeped. <laughs> but that's the thing. So the monster can talk to you. But then I suppose it always could, couldn't it? I think there are uh, there's a few sort of grey areas about what the monsters can and can't do. It seems yeah. like because they've gone, we're not showing them, so we can kind of just do whatever we like and we'll just whatever's scarier in that moment. Yeah. Um, do you like the bits on the river with Sandra and the two kids? I thought they were quite uh, good. I actually, I wrote down something that I'm not sure about, but I, I, I think it should... I think it should do more of one because it's split about 50 50 yeah. between the river journey to mm-hmm. safety and the threats thereof and the bits in the house. Yeah. And I think it should, I think it should go all in more in on one. Like I think the river journey, we should dip in and out of a lot less yeah. and spend more time in yeah. the house and maybe even just um, either side of the main story. We go to the river. So we see the river at the start and at the end when the film catches up mm-hmm. with itself, as opposed to dipping in and out, or we should be on the river and have a real sort of survival story on the river mm. um, that has a very occasional flashbacks. I'm less attracted to the second idea, but I do think, you know, you need to commit more to one, and I think we need to be spending more time in the house. Because the how, the life they build for themselves in the house, actually, in contrast to a quiet place, looks okay. Because obviously the kids can't go outside without a blindfold on and that's very limiting. Mm. And there's a really nice scene where Trevante Rose is telling them a story and Sandra like disallows that because don't put the, don't put ideas in their head yep. that you can't deliver on, which is you can go outside and climb trees and play with other children. It's really sad. But other than that, they can walk around their, their huge house unencumbered and live their life. And it seems to be clear that they're raiding other people's houses for supplies so what? How has that come about? Like the, the supermarket seems to be a no-go just because there's someone in the fridge freezer who's a badden. Yeah. But maybe that could be more easily dealt with uh, in some sort of scene, and then we can go to the supermarket for the rest of our lives. Like, how have they made this life together? Yeah, it's a strange one. Uh, we do take a huge leap from them all being in the house to everyone in the house dying, and them suddenly having a new setup years later. Yeah. Uh, it's a yeah. Uh, Let's move on towards the end of the movie. They survived the rapids. Ridiculously. Yeah, it's a bit of a bit of a cheap moment that uh, it's sort of a get out because the big decision that you're forced with is do you make your own kid look or a stranger's kid look because someone needs to look to get through the rapids. Otherwise, 
were going to die. Yeah. For definite, pretty much. <laughs> yeah. The guy on the radio that starts goes, someone will have to look. This yeah. is set up throughout the movie. Yeah. And then at the 11th hour, she just goes, don't worry about it. Ah, let's roll the dice on this one. <laughs> yeah. And they survive. And it's sort of like, well. If it was that easy. Yeah. I mean, the, I love the fact that the very beginning scene, the crackly radio person who's saying we've got this sanctuary is like, if you have children, you will find this difficult. Like we, you know, don't do it with children. Don't make this journey. And yet, of course, she's got to. So obviously it's a mortally dangerous and two five-year-old kids fall in a river mm. and just wash up on a beach. <laughs> There's, the minute they're in the water, they're dead. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah. And she's got her, I don't know why, because she's got a little bell with her and she's ringing the bell. It's like, you can shout. You don't need. Uh, oh yeah, that's true, actually. You don't yeah. need your. You don't need your the, warning system. Ding, 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 ding. Just over here. Mom. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and that's not really explored either. We don't know whether... They only call her Mallory. They both call her Mallory. And at the end, she says, I'm their mother. Yeah. But we don't know whether the kid, uh, girl, knows she's Mallory's, not Mallory's daughter. Yeah. Point. I doubt that's come up. Yeah. That'd be a thing. Let's. We're going to put the monsters, park the monsters <laughs> yeah. for a moment. Park the imminent specters of death outside. Yeah. By the way, I'm not your mum. We need to talk about your origin story. Uh, she yeah. is a dade. <laughs> What do you think of the end where they get to a school for oh, the blind? Man. When I first saw the film, I was like, no, come right. on. In a contrast to A Quiet Place, the the reveal, the person with the special ability is saved for the big fun reveal at the end here, which is, oh, fuck blind people, yeah? like, And you, that's really cheap. Whereas obviously in A Quiet Place, the person with the special ability, a non-hearing person, is re- embedded into it from the start. That's the better choice. It's, it's too... It's just, I don't know, it's a little bit, is it patronising towards blind people to be like, we could do this shit with our eyes closed, even though it looks really difficult. And like, you've built this massive life for yourself. But yeah, I just got two five-year-olds down some rapids just with a blindfold on and it was a piece of piss, basically. Um, and also, it just feels too, Where? why is there a school for the blind in the middle of nowhere? That yep. doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, um, why has it got an aviary uh, yeah, in it? A huge aviary. Massive, uh, which also, luckily, uh, unless it's grown up in the five years, has foliage yeah. that has taken over the roof. So one of those creatures can't just peer in and go, boo. Um, <laughs> yeah. So it's different to the novel at this point. Oh, really? Because in the novel, while it is still a school for the blind initially, there is a suggestion that there are sighted people there who uh, on a previous uh, day, uh, a creature had somehow got into the blind school, driven the sighted people insane, and they yeah. killed a lot of the other people in there. And so what they'd all chosen to do in the book was blind themselves to never have to see the monsters. Jesus. So when the Sandra Bullock character turns up, at the blind school at the end, it's not a mixture of blind and sighted people. It's people yeah. who've gouged their own eyes out to save themselves from ever seeing a monster. Wow. And there isn't an implication that if Sandra Bullock wants to stay with the kids, they're going to have to do the same. That would be too much. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, so it's a much... She gets to safety, but it's still a fairly darker, uh, much darker ending uh, in the book. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, which I like. Yeah, of course you do. <laughs> but correctly, um, Suzanne Beer said, after putting people through that two hours, yeah. I'm not going to have a bleak ending. You need hope <laughs> at the end. Um, uh, other than that, um, 
there's a few nice moments. I, I did wonder what happened to the couple at the start who go, our kids are on the phone. We're bloody leaving this house. You know, yeah. the young couple who yeah. run out. I didn't realise, but you know when they're driving to the supermarket and you see the corpse on the ground? Oh, no, it's the, not, is it? It's them, yeah. Oh, my God. They don't make it to their kids. Oh, God. But that's, again, Christmas. And then John Malkovich is like, you won't make it. She's like, my kids. It's like, well, of course you've got to go. But, oh, anyway. Yeah. Uh, beyond that, uh, that's a, it's not a whole, uh, whole load of... Um, of trivia on this that we haven't touched on already about them trying to create a creature and then getting uh, rid of the creature. Sandra Bullock actually wore a blindfold for a lot of her scenes, uh, except when she was carrying the children, where she had them remove a slight layer so she could see outlines. I have a bit of a problem with the whole blindfold thing anyway. I just think because you see her point of view mm. and you can kind of see through it and it feels a little bit like the gremlins don't feed them after midnight. But what if they've got a bit of food stuck in their teeth idea? It's like, well, I can't see, but I kind of can. It's like how much seeing is too much seeing through yeah. a blindfold. Like if you needed glasses, yeah. would you be okay? Right, let's do the bits. Who is your, or what is your most valuable whatever in this film? Uh, I'm going to pick Olympia, the woman who turns up at the house, heavily pregnant, who also gives birth at the same time as Sandra Bullock. I like I like the fact that she's the person that's and I like the fact she describes herself as soft because she just is not soft well yeah soft physically soft mm. but also soft hearted and kind and the person that's trying to like crack Sandra Bullock's cold exterior by like sharing space with her and being like and really concerned in that sort of first time parent way of oh, I'm really worried about the baby because the baby needs to hear kind voices and be near people and all the rest of it. All shit that really doesn't matter now, mm. but it really matters to her. And the the best line, almost in the whole thing, weirdly for me, is when Sandra Bullock says to her, to Olympia, something about her husband. Oh, I can't remember what it is. And Olympia just says really sweetly, my husband likes everything that I like. And I just think, God, that's, I just imagine them as such a, a lovely couple <laughs> and really together. Yeah. And it just said a lot about her life in, in quite an economical space. Yeah. She is a very, very sympathetic character. Yeah. You do warm to her from yeah. the minute she appears. Um, and Sandra looks after her. I love Sandra Bullock. Yeah. So when everyone's sort of deciding who's going to go on the supermarket run and then she sort of, says I'll do it and then Santa, not to because she doesn't want it to feel useless so she's like well I'll go on the first one Olympia and you can go on the second one yeah I love that yeah I, I think one of us has to pick him because you can't not pick a movie where John Malkovich is <laughs> yeah. John Malkoviching all over it but <laughs> John Malkovich have you not got a John Malkovich impression I was really hopeful <laughs> no I'm gonna have to watch Con Air again and then <laughs> steal one of Cyrus the Virus's lines <laughs> It always helps when I do a very famous line. People go, oh, right, John Malkovich in that thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Not sounding like that. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I just think John Malkovich is uh, absolutely brilliant in this movie. It's a toss-up. It's it's a movie that just allows great actors to go, like, big on their parts. They've yeah. sort of gone, this script is ho-hum in parts, yeah. so I'm going to go big. Both Malkovich and uh, Tom Hollander are yeah. fantastic. So <laughs> yeah. it'd be a toss-up. I'm going Malkovich because... The man drinks half a bottle of whiskey in three minutes. And, you know, I'm not saying that's something cool. I'm saying it's something <laughs> cool in that moment. In, in the circumstances. In the, it's the end of the world. 
So, yeah, I'm picking John Malkovich. Best scene. Uh, in contrast, it was really interesting the way that these films connect. But in contrast to A Quiet Place, which the best scene is the final scene, the best scene in this is the very first scene, the open, which we've talked about when she's saying to the kids, if you look, you will die. We are going on the trip now. It is going to be hard. Yeah. It's the hardest thing we've ever done. And I love, obviously, I'm sitting there thinking like, these kids, they're never going to do what they're being asked to do. I was thinking like I could shout, sure, shout, say to my children, <laughs> we're going to uh, a Willy Wonka themed adventure park. We're leaving now. It's going to be great. You're going to have to eat a lot of chocolate. Still nothing. Still, they'd still have a fight about it. They'd still say they don't want to do that. They'd still argue in the car. Um, but I just, you know, the cognitive dissonance of talking to children like that is, um, it's thrilling. Um, I think it's one of two for me. It's either because I, I gave Malkovich the MVW. I might give best scene to Tom Hollander when he's going, look, look how beautiful it is. <laughs> and then when he sits next to Mallory, who's under the cover, and he's going, give me the baby, Mallory. Give, oh, me, give, yeah. me, give me the baby. Give me the baby. I was like, this is good. I remembered it from the first time yeah. round, and I was waiting for it to happen, and it's great second time. It's either that or... Sarah Paulson at the start where yeah. just there's something about that look where she sees whatever it is that sows uh, uh, this desperate fear of, uh, like in the audience immediately like what is she seeing and even though we never see it yeah. it's that look on her face yeah that's how good she is yeah yeah where she goes what the fuck is that that makes you go I never need to see it because I've already got my worst fear imprinted on my brain yeah, for the rest of this point. movie yeah Finally, what would you change? Uh, I don't think the emotional payoff at the end should be that you are reunited with your gynecologist. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think it works. <laughs> Mallory? Oh, you, you, some woman. Yeah, yeah. The, no. So you didn't adopt? Uh, yeah. you didn't oh, so you love yeah. your kids? Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, 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 yeah. She's over familiar with her in the first scene where she's like, Mallory, you realise that you've got to bond with your children. It's like, uh, yeah. Maybe the American healthcare system is different, it's not, but it's not, it's not that different. The bit where she's like, she, she goes, "Have you thought of a name?" She's like, "No, no, I haven't thought of a name." It's like, mm. there's a lot of foster parents <laughs> who would love that. It's like that's bold, that's <laughs> yeah. quick. Yeah, um, there's and the, you know they're not connect, they're not friends. I mean, it's just was there no other character that could have been a little bit more built up at the start that <laughs> can be reunited with Sandra Bullock at the end like it doesn't work at all yeah there's that I'm and... surprised she can remember her fucking name you know what I mean <laughs> Doctor something but the bit where um, and also it's a, it's very I know they're hiding the fact that he's blind but the guy who she's been speaking to I've forgotten the character's name Ryan Rick Rick, Rick. yeah they shoot him in a way on arrival that makes you think that he is someone who she would know because they like they oh, go okay. they shoot him in a way like he's like I'm Rick and like you only see his legs yeah, and stuff and you're like that's oh, a really good point who's Rick gonna oh John Malkovich we, we've never met him again <laughs> that would be great yeah John Malkovich did a runner he's there yeah you know and um, my actual change is uh, one of the very last lines where um, uh, shortly after we've met the uh, her friendly gynecologist yeah again. She goes, oh, This is your name is Tom mm. about the boy and about the girl. She goes, And your name is Olympia. And you're like, No, it's not. It's Ella. Yeah, and I she's know. short for Cinderella. That's what I thought. Because Olympia basically went, If it's a girl, I would love to call her Cinderella and just call her Ella. And, and you're she's like, So sweet as well. She told you what she wanted her kid yeah. name. She said, Will you look after my baby? Yeah. Also, she should be called Ella. Right. Oh. You're like, no, I, I, It's. 
I probably would have shed one of my dust tears <laughs> at that point well, had they done that. Got one of them that. out of the archives. Yeah, yeah I really would. I sort of squeezed some powder out of what used to be my tear duct at that moment. But no, I muffed it. Uh, right then. Now, oh. now listen, I know. In, um, oh, <laughs> wait. They haven't got, it's me. I know. Do you want to do it anyway? It's up to you. Look, well, I've, do, I've done it. I've worked on it. I don't know if it's funny. Um, let's do it. I mean, it's a very strange thing to do a quiz with one person, <laughs> uh, you know, but let's do it. All right. I'll be super quick because what's funny about the quiz is really how much it means to Chris and the fact that he keeps score. And obviously that's taken yeah. out of the equation. Yeah. But anyway, fuck it. Let's go for it. Right, so the films we've been talking about are actually about survival, mm. right? So I am going to describe to you, I'm going to talk about the actor that's in the film and the things they take to survive in this film, okay? And, and I then you've got to name the film. All right, I get ready? it. Ready? Okay, yeah. strap in. You ready? Yeah. Leonardo DiCaprio takes a fur coat and all-consuming revenge in... The Revenant. Correct! Tick! Yep. Sandra Bullock takes a fire extinguisher, maternal grief and... Dreams about George Clooney in. Oh, Gravity. Gravity. Yeah, sorry, yeah. I used that in my intro. I can't believe I nearly forgot That's that. Yeah. That's also one of the funniest Golden Globes jokes ever. What? The Amy Poehler and Tina Fey joke where <laughs> George Clooney would rather float off into space than spend any time with a woman his own age. <laughs> Uh, Robert Redford takes not enough drinking water and a message in a bottle in. Oh, uh, Robert. Oh, it's uh, all is lost. Yay! Yeah. Vigo Mortensen takes basically the road. nothing. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm getting this now. Tom Hanks takes a basketball. Oh, the uh, the castaway, castaway. castaway. Also, uh, a sadly, a sadly defunct um, uh, Alco Pop. Do you remember Castaway? Of course I do. What yeah. are we talking about? It, sort of like Lilt. Yeah, it, may, it had a kind of uh, a sort of Pacific Island uh, motif. It did. A the, yellow label and yeah. a black palm tree. And there were black palm trees because yeah. the, the advert was, ooh, hey, away, away, cast away. <laughs> I've had a lot of cast away, yeah. Brilliant, brilliant. Uh, um, Ryan Reynolds takes a lighter and a mobile phone in. Oh, buried. Yeah. Last one. James Franco takes a pen knife in. Blooming movie where he chops his hand off. 127 hours. Yeah, it's a clean sheet. Well done. Really? Yeah. In your face, Chris. <laughs> I want to beat you. And I got a full house. Well done. Um, okay. Right, now let's do the verdict. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers. I want the truth. So, um, I, I'm going to I'm gonna start seeing as it seems only right. You pick the movie, so I'm going to start. Um. It's a weird one. I think one of these, and it's that age-old thing of it being very difficult to view a movie on the small screen and ever work out what it would have been like to see on the big screen. Because I think A Quiet Place is much more cinematic as a film. Its look and everything about it feels like something that I would watch in a cinema. Cinematic. Whereas Bird Box, I don't know whether I think it looks like a TV movie because it looks like a TV movie or because it's a movie I've only ever watched on TV slash my laptop. Right. So as a cinematic experience, A Quiet Place wins it. But as a film, as an overall movie experience, I don't know why because it's got so many flaws. But I love the love the characters. I love the soapy, like, 
element when they're all trapped in the house. Uh, I love Sandra Bullock being Sandra Bullock, and this is a, it's a bird. It's Bird Box. I th- I prefer Bird Box. I. I can tolerate the unnecessary extra half hour. Would it be better at an hour, an hour and a half? Yeah, but I like the. I can stomach it. It feels like. I think if I saw it in the cinema, yeah, I'd be like, "This is too long." But I'm so accustomed to watching box sets on Netflix that I'm like, ah, it's just like a short box set as opposed to a too long movie. Okay. So I'm picking Bird Box. Bird Box is uh, my winner this week. By the way, if you also go, uh, if you go for a quiet place. Chris uh, has uh, his vote, but don't feel obliged. Vote for whatever you want. Okay. But if it comes down that we've, it's a split vote between us, then um, Chris has got a vote as well. Ooh. He's gets sent me his vote. <clears throat> Jeopardy. Well, I have found this really, really hard. I would say that uh, for me, Bird Box like, loses ground because it's in a house most of the time and life inside the house looks quite straightforward. Um but it's more quotable to me. Like I love that if you look, you will die. We are going on the trip. Like it's it's brilliant. Mm. Um, and but a quiet place. That again, the life that they have for themselves just seems so unbearable to me. Like so so difficult that it scores points for me there because it's a brilliant execution of a brilliant idea. Um, and but bird box I prefer because I do prefer if I'm going to talk about the monsters. I like no CGI over quite a lot of CGI. Mm. Um, but then the ending, the reunited with your gynecologist, gynecologist yep. is such a, like, ah, uh, I can't. So I think I'm going to go for, even though it kills me, I'm going for a quiet place. Even, even though Sandra Bullock is Sandra Bullock. Yeah. And even though I'm so surprised yeah, because there's a scene in it where Sandra Bullock wears pretty much a sky blue version of a coat you own. <laughs> And I was like, surely the minute you see that scene, you're going to be like, oh, she's wearing my coat in blue. I saw the coat. I was like, I love that colour. Yeah. Uh, Okay, so that's one for each. We are going to turn to Chris's paragraph. He has written us to see whether Bird Box or A Quiet Place is the winner this week. Um, He says, A Quiet Place is all about people being smart. Bird Box is filled with folks making bad decisions. Good point, Chris. Love that A Quiet Place comes in at under 90 minutes. Love that Bird Box makes our world completely unfamiliar. But while one of these films is entertaining, the other is a horror classic with real depth. One that's about something. In the land of the blind, the deaf film is king. So a quiet place. Oh, really? I'm quite surprised. No, actually, I'm not. I feel a bit sad. Yeah, I feel a bit sad. But I've I've really grappled with this this week. I bet you have. And I feel like it's the right decision. But, uh, but if you'd have asked me last week before I'd rewatched it, I'd be like, shut up. Mm-hmm. Bird Box is incredible. Take note, though, your favourite actress in the history I of know, actresses know, has just lost this week because of a decision I know. you made. The bit where As Chris this, said, oh. says, says, folks making bad decisions. <laughs> a premonition. Um, all right, then. That's us done. Do you know what I'm going to do, though? I'm picking next week's choices, and I'm going to throw you a lifeline, a way back into Sandy B's good books. The movies I'm picking for next week's show. Let's have a laugh. Let's have some comedy. Let's have some fun. I am picking The Heat. For me. (laughs) Yay! Starring Sandra Bullock (laughs) and Melissa McCarthy. And for Chris... Yes, go on. Well, let me tell you what you've got coming your way, my friend. Oh, I'm excited. You're not usually excited. That's a lie. Okay. So you are getting 
Will Ferrell and Mark Wahlberg in The Other Guys. <laughs> it's The Heat versus The Other Guys on next week's Clash Pod. Thank you very much for listening. If you want to get in touch, it's at Clash Pod on Twitter. Or you can use hashtag Clash Comment on there as well. Or you can email the show at Clash Pod. Uh, show at ClashPod.com. Nice. Uh, that is us done for the week. Please do rate and review us and please subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts, Apple, Spotify, or elsewhere. Thank you for listening. Back in a week. Bye-bye. This was a Stakhanov production.